Father, we ask first for that peace which passes understanding, not the salvation of our souls, but the ability to sit and absorb, uh, to get your word inside, to cleanse what has become filth, to renew what has plagued us, Lord, lethargy. We ask that you would move within us by your spirit, that we would see plainly what has been spelled out so long ago. And we would ask, Lord, that you would use us to the fullest extent. As your word says, you sow in us and we should bring a return 30, 60, or 100 times that which is sown. And we ask that you would assist us in making that 100 times. Although we are not many, Lord, you are powerful through just that type of dedication and devotion. So, Father, we ask that you would bless your word and that it would accomplish in us that which you have sent it forth to do. In Jesus' name, amen. I was going through the news this last week. There's a startup company, and they're still in the preliminary stages, that they have these earbuds they look like hearing aids you can put them in your ears and with your phone right there when you talk to somebody in a foreign language you hear it almost in real time in your language in your earbuds this is a startup company uh, that's doing this and there are some kinks they're still working out with it but If technology has its way, in the next 20 years, that barrier of language will be erased. Now, we know there was one other time where the Lord said, I will go down and confuse their language. For if they speak one common language, there will be nothing that is impossible for them to do. And so the Lord stopped it, the Tower of Babel, and that's where we get the word babbling from because when somebody speaks a foreign language to us if we don't understand it it sounds like babbling we have no frame of reference and God did that on purpose so we are right on the cusp of the world becoming one not only socially but politically as well and economically maybe you saw that last Saturday We have officially turned over the control of the internet to the powers that be, whether despots, communists, those people who are socialists, but where in the world is there a true democracy? There is not one. And so we see all of these forces coming together to make the world one. I also read that there are two countries right now that are basically cashless. They do not take cash anymore one is Netherlands the other is Sweden and it's beginning to sweep across Europe I don't know when the last time was you were in Starbucks and you saw somebody pull out their phone and pay with their phone now the new Apple phone I think it's the Apple 6 they took out the earbud right what's that Apple 7 they took out the earbud Do you know why they took out the earbud? Maybe you don't know. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There are those who believe this erroneous report that you could actually drill one yourself. Yes. And they would find this tiny little speaker hole in the bottom and they would drill it with a tr- tiny drill bit. In the video, it said, if you stick your ear jack in there, it probably won't work because there's still debris in there. So what you need to do is take your phone, submerse it in water and shake it really hard. And of course, people were destroying their iPhones doing that. But the reason they took that out is because there is this little add-on that goes into the earbud hole. And it's for credit cards. It's for PayPal. I think there are at least three other e-commerce type applications that fit into that little hole. Once they got rid of that, you are now limited only to Apple Pay. And so they decided to squash the competition in order to get everybody into Apple Pay. And so there are these big conglomerations, these companies that are coming together to narrow the field pretty soon. And by the way, in some of these countries that have gone cashless, they charge them to make cash deposits. And so they're trying to get away from using cash. And the people in the article that I read they become frustrated because it's so difficult to work with cash. And so we see this move going to this cashless society. Why is that important, you might say? Well, it says in Scripture that we will all, if we are here, if you believe that we are going to be here and the rapture doesn't take place, it will be necessary for all of us to receive a mark a mark on the back of the hand or on the forehead, and without that, you will not be able to buy or to sell. This is called the mark of the beast. Anybody who gets the mark of the beast is not allowed entry into heaven because it, is, it brands you, so to speak, as part of the enemy. And so those people who I believe will be left behind will have to deal with that. Pretty soon, all of our identification all our banking, your thumbprints, all of that will be on your phone. Oh, wait. It is on your phone. It is on your computer. It, your medical records are all computerized. Everything is there. We know who you are. We know what you do. And that can be used for nefarious purposes. So as I see all of this stuff coming together, do I see the world being a better place? The word is no. It is not a better place. Immorality is on the rise. It is affecting the Christian church. There's a lethargy that's coming in because of everything that is there. And God, thousands of years ago, told us, look, it's going to get tough. And when it gets tough, the rapture is going to come, but his wrath will also come. When that comes, literally all hell will break loose. But again, God long ago said, look, I'm setting things up. I'm telescoping what's going to happen in the future so that you will be prepared. Look, I'm going to grab a people for myself and they're going to be a mirror image of in the last days what he's going to call his church. 
And this is thousands of years before it came. And in this procedure or procedural lifestyle that he's going to set up with the tabernacle, the tabernacle is going to be Christ. Now, the tabernacle is a metaphor for Christ. There is so much there, and he wanted us to be aware of it. He did not want us to be ignorant of this. And as I said last week, the people, the Israelites at the time, could not see it. But us being from the outside into the future, looking back, we can see how every detail of the tabernacle applies because God wanted to save the entire world. So he started small and he had time. Now, he doesn't have an infinite amount of time or we don't have an infinite amount of time. He does to act, but we don't until all of this is brought to fruition. So these are the first vestiges of Jesus being made mention of through the tabernacle. He also appeared in the Old Testament in Genesis, but now we're in Exodus and he's building upon that and he wants us to be aware so we are not taken unawares of the schemes of the devil that there maybe is not a plan of salvation. Well, there is a plan of salvation and he wanted to make sure we all understood that clearly. So the tabernacle is God's picture of Jesus Christ, the acting out of his ministry, his New Testament ministry, in the Old Testament. And it comes through this tabernacle. And so you have the beginning, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh and tabernacled amongst us. That is the word that is used in the Greek. In the Greek. Some uh, in the New Testament, it says, and he dwelt among us. Well, dwelt doesn't really conjure up the idea of this tabernacle. So he tabernacled with us. What did Paul call the flesh, this body? He called it a tent, right? We live in this tent. Well, Jesus came and tabernacled, literally. The tabernacle was there, and he was in the tabernacle above the mercy seat. The Shekinah glory comes down. Now, you might think, well, what? he was just hovering right there and Moses would walk in. And I'm not sure how it would work, but his presence was there. That's what the tabernacle was all about. You had this courtyard that was 150 feet long and it was narrow. And then the gate was more narrow. And so you have this gate. Narrow is the gate, according to Matthew chapter 7, verse 14. And wide is the road that leads to destruction. And many there be that find that. And so the way to destruction is huge. It's like the interchange of 805 and 5 up in Del Mar. Have you ever counted the lanes up there? There's, I, there's so many lanes. There's over 20 lanes, 30 lanes. I don't know. It's just way up there. And it seems like it keeps on expanding. And how many thousands of people are on that? Tons of people. If you go to some of the Pacific Islands, Hawaii, if you go to Maui, if you've ever been on Maui, when you're in Kihei and Lahaina, you know, it's a nice little roadway. But if you go on the backside or if you go on the road to Hana, it's this little windy road. And few there be that find it, that go around that side of the island. You go, where are we? We must be in some foreign country or something. And that's what it's like. It's 805 and 5 interchange compared to the back roads on Maui. Few there be that find it. 
And so this little gate in this tabernacle, this little door, that represents Jesus Christ. He is the door. You can't even get into the tabernacle except going through that gate. And Jesus obviously said he is the gate. He is the door, according to John chapter 10. Then once you go through the door, you have the bronze altar, and you cannot approach God without a sacrifice. If you did this, if you entered the holy uh, place, the holy of holies, and you were unworthy, you would die. You have to have a sacrifice in order to approach God. And it has to be a blood sacrifice, the the atoning for sin, because only the shedding of blood will make atonement for sin. Life has to be given in order for that to take place. And the type of metal was bronze, which speaks of judgment. There is judgment there. Unless a sacrifice is given, judgment will remain. And then from there, you go to the labor. And by the way, Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. As you go there, he is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He was the one that would have been thrown on the altar, figuratively speaking. But then you go around to the bronze labor. And you have to, once you have your sin washed away, you have to be made clean And so the priest would wash and he would become clean. And Jesus is the one who cleanses us. How? By his blood. That blood that is sprinkled on the altar. The altar is sacrificed on the horns of the altar. And later on we'll see it's it's also touched seven times to the altar of incense on the inside. And that blood is brought in once a year on Yom Kippur, which is in the latter part of this chapter here. And he actually sprinkles it on the mercy seat. And there's a procedure he has to go through in order to do that. And so this labor is for cleansing. And we have the washing of water by the word, according to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26. And then you have the table of showbread, which is on the right. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life, according to John chapter 6, verse 35. And then you have the lampstand over on the left-hand side as you enter in. And, of course, you're facing as you enter into the tabernacle towards the west, and the east is towards your back, and that's where the gate is also located, along with the laver and the bronze altar, which is there. But it provided light for inside the tabernacle. And, of course, we know that Jesus is the light of the world, according to John chapter 8, verse 12. And then you have one stem on that candle branch. And then you have, or the candlestick, and then you have the branches coming off. And Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, according to John chapter 15, verse 5. Then you have the veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place. And Jesus is the one that tore that in two when he was crucified. And these things I've already covered with you, but the people were separated from God. They could not approach God, only the high priest, and only once a year. And he was not even supposed to look at the mercy seat. And I'll explain that, how that was possible when he, when we get into the latter part of this chapter. And then Jesus fulfills this meaning of the tabernacle and just the way it was constructed. You have this building that is set up. You have a holy place, most holy place. It mimics the outside. The outside is where the sacrifice takes place and the people take care of that, the priests. But on the inside, it's only one high priest. We know that Jesus went to heaven by himself and provided blood for the sacrifice, the ransom that had to be paid in heaven. But outside, it's all the priests working around to sacrifice on the outside to make atonement for the sins. And so Jesus is the one high priest after the order of Melchizedek that goes in. And then the way that the tabernacle is constructed, you have the blue, purple, and scarlet yarn. Of course, the blue stands for heaven where God resides. The 
the purple is for royalty. And he, of course, is the king over all. And then you have the blue, purple, and scarlet. Scarlet is for the blood that Jesus shed. Above that, you have the blackened goat hair. And that, of course, refers to our sin. And above that, you have the ramskin dyed red. And that refers to the blood of Jesus Christ, which is given. And on top of that, you have the skins, whether uh, it's purpose or porpoise or if it's badger skin we don't know what it is but it's a skin it doesn't look so great and jesus was nothing to look at according to the book of isaiah you know so all of these things we see and then you have the ark of the covenant which is behind there in the mercy seat of god and the two cherubim that have their wings facing inward a little upward and jesus's place of mercy is at the top of that and below the place of mercy the the place of mercy supersedes what is down below, which is the law. And the law was meant to drive us to Jesus Christ. You also have Aaron's staff, Aaron's rod that is in there. That was an old stick that was long since dead, but it budded. That means Jesus can bring life out of that which has no life. And by the way, you know uh, that old song, them bones, them bones, them crazy bones, right? You know that song? The ankle bones connect to the shin bone. Well, that's taken out of the Bible because the valley of bones, which is out there, all these bones come back together. Muscles go back on the bones and skin on top of that. And God breathes life into it as referring to the nation of Israel coming back into the land. Well, God can take our bodies and he resurrects those too. And he makes them completely new. He refurbishes what has already been made. So all of these things that we see there, this something that did not have life and now it has life and now we also have the jar of manna which is in there and the manna well jesus is the bread of life he sustained the people in the wilderness in the old testament for 40 years they ate this manna i'm sure they got sick of it but this they had it provided for them and they could fix it several different ways and so all of this we look at the tabernacle and we go it's jesus in his ministry that's what it is and the people couldn't see it They could only see what God was requiring them to do. Just follow through with this. And I've mentioned this before too. How you just train a little child. Just do it. Just get out there and do it. You're not going to understand everything right now, but just do it. And that's what God was doing with the nation of Israel. He was putting all this together, blending all the people in the nation of Israel together to bring this to fruition so that it would point to Jesus Christ in the New Testament. It signifies his work on earth and again on the inside of the tabernacle of course everything is precious in there and that's what refers to heaven and then the final thing you have is the pillar of fire by night and the pillar of smoke by day and you know the smoke during the day the people would be moved during the day and so that pillar of smoke would rise to the heavens and people would look to that smoke and as soon as that smoke moved they knew they were supposed to move that's when they broke down the tabernacle and they would say okay there goes the smoke that's where we have to go and it might be a mile down the way or two miles and so they had to pick everything up and go okay we're going to where that is and as soon as that smoke pillar landed wherever it would stay that's where the holy of holies would be and they would construct the whole tabernacle around that so god was faithful in his guidance of the people in the wilderness god is faithful to guide us in this land full of sin that is destined to be cursed and burned up he guides us if we just allow him but he moves first we have to keep looking to him to see where to go if you take your eyes off of christ where are we supposed to go i don't know where are we supposed to go well look to the pillar 
That's what it is. And also in the midst of darkness, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. What do you see? You see that pillar of fire at night. And so you know God is always there. He's constantly watching. All of these things we can see from this side in the New Testament, looking back to the Old Testament. And that's the way God intended it. Exodus chapter 30, verse 1. Here we have the altar of incense. Make an altar of acacia wood for burning incense. It is to be square, a cubit long and a cubit wide and two cubits high. It's horn of one piece with it. It's 18 by 18 by 36 inches are the dimensions. Overlay the top and all sides and the horns with pure gold and make a gold molding around it. Make two gold rings for the altar below the molding. Two on the opposite sides to hold poles used to carry it. Make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Put the altar in front of the curtain that is before the Ark of the Testimony, before the atonement cover that is over the testimony where I will meet you. Aaron must burn fragrant incense on the altar every morning when he tends the lamps. He must burn incense again when he lights the lamps at twilight. So incense will burn regularly before the Lord for the generations to come. Do not offer on this altar any other incense or any burnt offering or grain offering. And do not pour a drink offering on it. So it was to constantly be burning. And this is an exercise in sensory perception if you go into the tabernacle. Have you ever gone into... um, Bath and Body Works. Or at Christmas time, you go into some place like Macy's. What's the first counter you come to in Macy's? <laughs> yeah. We all know it's perfume, right? And then you get this whiff of just all these scents going by you. And, you know, when you smell at least three of them, you're done. You, you start mixing them. You, you can't tell what's what. And you try and you wave that little sample around and you can't quite get it. Well, at the altar and everything that was set up, just imagine the senses, what's going on. They take out a bullock, for instance, and they're going to slaughter the bullock. I don't know, and I don't want to be too graphic, but when an animal is slaughtered, it screams normally. Sometimes it doesn't. It depends on how it's done. Um, My father grew up on a farm, and uh, we slaughtered rabbits and ate rabbits when I was a kid. And I've been there when cattle have been slaughtered. I have seen that. And, you know, it's, it's not a pretty thing. And so the animal is probably crying out. And so you have the sound of what's taking place and the cutting the visual that's there and the blood being spilled out you see everything that's going on and the priests they're getting bloody doing this and the smell that goes along with that there is a distinct smell when a slaughter is taking place and it is right there and then you throw that sacrifice on the altar and it starts cooking on the altar and then some of it has to be taken outside the camp and that has to be burned up completely now this idea of burning flesh to where nothing is left just a little side note i used to live across from the neptune society i still do it's moved and in the afternoon without question this smoke would come over and we'd have to close the doors and the windows and it was just horrible horrible 
If you don't know what the Neptune Society is, it's a crematorium. And they have since had to move. There was a meeting down at the city of San Diego, and they just, you guys are done. You know, so that's no longer there. But there is a distinct smell of that. And then the things that are going on with the eyes, you see everything taking place, and you go into the altar of incense and you throw the incense on the altar and so the inside the holy the holy place was filled with this smoke maybe you've been to a catholic funeral service where they take the little uh, i forget what they call the charger and they have some coals in there and they put some material on top and it smokes and as they're walking down the center aisle the priest waves that thing back and forth and the catholic church will not fill with smoke but you can smell it it's there and so this fire is burning the sacrifice is being offered the altar of incense is in there you have the visual that's going on you hear the slaughtering being taken uh, or taking place out there and so all of this is happening, and it is something that attacks all of the senses. Could you imagine that happening in the United States today? What do you think the outcry would be? PETA would be suing. You would have to stop. It would be cruelty to animals, but that was a way of life. You know, as, as a little anecdotal story here, you take some people to the supermarket and all of this meat is laid out in the meat counter, but they have no idea how it got there. They, they have no clue whatsoever. And then when they see something on TV of turkeys being culled or chickens being culled, they raise up their arms and they say, what is going on? Let's go get some Kentucky Fried Chicken afterwards, you know. And, and they are just completely clueless. But it is a bloody thing that was taking place, and it would attack the senses. Then going on in verse 10, you have the Day of Atonement. Here, once a year, Aaron shall make atonement on its horns. This annual atonement must be made with the blood of the atoning sin offering for the generations to come. It is most holy to the Lord. I'd like you to turn over if you have your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 16. This is the day, Yom Kippur, the most holy day. And by the way, this Yom Kippur, it's in nine days. From today, Yom Kippur is going to take place on October 11th and October 12th. So all the Jews, it is going to be their most holy day coming up in just nine days. And this is what they are supposed to do. But they do not have a temple. And so they have not been able to celebrate Yom Kippur according to the way of the scriptures. When the Antichrist allows them, according to the prophecy that is given, we have it in Ezekiel chapter 38 through 40, how the temple is going to be rebuilt. That day, when they are able to celebrate Yom Kippur for the first time, what do you think the Jews are going to do? They are just going to go nuts. I, it will be televised all around the world. I think it is something that takes place during the tribulation period. But they will just go crazy because it is going to be a time of merriment that they are able to offer a sacrifice just as it was done in the Old Testament. And here it was where Aaron in chapter 16, the Lord spoke to Moses of Leviticus. After the death of the two sons of Aaron who died when they approached the Lord, and by the way, they were judged. That's a whole nother story the lord said to moses tell your brother aaron not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover of the ark or else he will die 
So he couldn't just walk in there whenever he wanted to. He could only do it one time. And then he was to offer a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering, according to verse 3 in that same chapter. He had to bathe himself. And also he had to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. And so he was making offerings himself, these sin offerings and burnt offerings. And he was to offer the bull for his own sin offering and make atonement for himself and his household, according to verse 6. And then he was to cast lots for these two goats. And one goat was to be a sacrifice for the Lord. And the other goat, he was to lay his hands on, pray for the sins of the nation of Israel to be transferred to that goat. And that goat was to be sent into the wilderness. It was called the scapegoat. Have you ever heard of a scapegoat? Oh, you're the scapegoat. You're the one who gets assimilated on you and you get to just take off. You know, you're the one who is set free. You're the scapegoat. You're the, you're the one who is... Uh, gets to go free or you're the one who is accused or you're the one that has a sin on you. And so that's where this comes from. And then Aaron, of course, he continues to make these sacrifices. And then he's to take some of the blood of the bull. And this is in verse 14. And with his finger, sprinkle it on the front of the atonement cover. He shall sprinkle some of it with his finger seven times before the atonement cover. And then he is to slaughter the one goat and make a sin offering for that. And as he's doing this, he was supposed to take some of the coals from the altar of incense. And he was to put them in this charger and then he was to put two handfuls of incense in this charger close it up and stick it in the holy of holies and he was supposed to allow that place to fill with smoke so he would not look upon the mercy seat but he was to sprinkle the blood there on the mercy seat he was basically doing it in the dark and in a cloud in there he was not allowed to look upon it and so if he looked upon it guess what happened dead and i'm sure when they had to move this thing the priest they had to cover it right because they had to carry it so they probably had to go in backwards and cover it without looking at it so you might say well whoever looked at it then don't you remember raiders of the lost ark they all died when they looked at it you know they're not supposed to look at it and and so god was saying, cover this thing and you're supposed to carry it out like that by the way raiders of the lost ark don't look at that for theological purposes it's not going to help you at all but they weren't supposed to look upon this thing this thing was holy and so moses got to see it when it was being constructed and then once it was put in the holy of holies that was it Nobody looked at it because that's the throne room of God. Nobody can look upon God and survive. You see the connections that are being made here? It's just fantastic how God set this up in the Old Testament. And, of course, he is to lay his hands on the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head in verse 21. And then he was to send that goat out. Now, once this was all done... He was to wash himself, bathe himself, make himself clean, and put on his regular priestly garments and not the blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and the Urim and the Thummim and all that on the day of Yom Kippur. And also then there was a person in charge of the goat to lead the goat out, and that goat had all the sins of the nation of Israel. Once he was done leading that thing out in the wilderness, he had to go wash too. He had to clean himself because he had been tainted by sin, symbolically, that was on the goat, and that goat was to go out. And you're going... What a mess having to follow all of these regulations. What was the purpose of that? You know, we get to escape judgment because our sins were placed on Christ. Now, when that goat goes into the wilderness, what do you think happened to it? It would die out there. 
That's what happened. You know, goats, they would get out there on the mountaintops. And back then, you know, there were like lions and stuff out there. They, remember Samson? He would judge over Israel. Didn't he kill a lion? Where do you think he went to do that? Egypt? No, he, he was in that area of Philistia. Uh, and where the Philistines were. And he was a judge over Israel. You know, so there were wild animals out there, right? Another little side note here. Guess what they want to release into the Sierra Nevada? Grizzly bears. Oh, yes. In the Sierra Nevada. Now, I'm going to go back. Okay? Let's just continue. Don't get me started. Okay, so this, this is how Yom Kippur was supposed to take place. And it was once a year. Why was it once a year? Because Christ only has to go once into the temple in heaven to offer his blood as an atoning sacrifice for sin. Just one time. It wasn't over and over and over. Of course, the Jews had to do that year after year after year. But Jesus did it once as the faithful high priest then he sat down on the right hand of the father and by the way that's a metaphor the father doesn't have a right hand but he sits down on the right hand that is a position of power and authority then you have a census verse 11 then the lord said to moses when you take a census of the israelites to count them each one must pay the lord a ransom for his life at the time he is counted then no plague will come on them and when you number them Each one who crosses over those already counted is to give a half shekel according to the sanctuary shekel, which weighs 20 geras. This half shekel is an offering to the Lord. All who cross over those 20 years old or more are to give an offering to the Lord. The rich are not to give more than a half shekel and the poor are not to give less when you make the offering to the Lord to atone for your lives. Receive the atonement money from the Israelites and use it for the service of the tent of meeting. It will be a memorial for the Israelites before the Lord making atonement for their lives. Now, I'm not going to go into the explanation of this. There there is so much here. Why why a census? What's going on with that? And 20 years old. And how come the rich pay just as much as the poor? Don't the rich have to pay their fair share? You know, well, you know, you can get things from Scripture that kind of... Give us guidance on how we're supposed to live our lives. If we would just follow it, things would be a lot better for us. But digressing, this day of atonement. We're going to receive in a moment the, the bread and the cup. And that is symbolic of the sacrifice that Jesus made. And remember, it was done once. Now, as we get this, and you're going to hold on to it, I'm going to say this now. When you get a piece of this bread, which is in here, and I was told today, the pieces are bigger. The pieces are bigger so you can get the full effect of the symbolism that is here. This is all taken from one loaf. When you get the matzah, that's what it's called. The matzah is in a, it's a big saltine cracker, right? It's yay, yay big. And it's in a box, and you take it, and you just break it. When Jesus celebrated the Passover, that's what he had. He had a big saltine cracker, and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. And when we look at this bread, Jesus is the bread of life, right? But he was pierced for our transgressions. As I'm holding this, and you probably can't see it, but there are rows of holes. He was pierced for our transgressions. 
That's why we have this. Now, was Jesus' bread pierced? Probably not. But our bread is pierced. And so you can remember that when we take this bread. He was pierced for our transgressions. I don't know if you can see the little burn marks on there. You can remember that he was bruised for our iniquities. That's what you can remember with the burn marks. And also these holes are in rows. Or you can think of them as stripes. By his stripes we are healed. And of course it's taken from one loaf. We all participate in taking from one loaf. Jesus which is the bread of life. And so we all have an equal share. An equal portion that we can receive. And of course when we eat it. Whatever we eat brings life we eat the bread it brings us life because jesus is the bread of life that's what this was intended to mean to us just like the tabernacle was meant to foreshadow the coming of christ and his ministry on earth and so i'll talk just a little bit more about the cup when we take the cup but if you guys would come ahead and come forward and grab this and as you receive it just make sure that you hold on to it until we can all receive it and participate doing so together.